Welcome to the Holiday Podcast, where we sit over some freshly baked challah bread every Friday afternoon. I'm your host, Tammy Priest, and it's great to be with you today as we take another look at the intersection of the old and the new. Well, it's hard to believe, but next week is Christmas. I'm not sure exactly what Christmas is going to look like for us, uh, since it will just be my husband and our two kids, um, one in high school and one in college. Um, and of course, the two bulldogs and the abandoned tabby cat that we adopted during COVID. Um, and even though it won't be anything like a regular Christmas, I'm really so excited. And I'm hoping that maybe this year we can really slow down because we kind of have to and ponder anew uh, what happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. I hope you're already thinking about ways to make this Christmas not only different, but really special. As for me right now, uh, like I do every year, I've been thinking about the Magi. I talked a couple weeks ago about my deep affinity for them, so if you want to learn more about uh, the Old Testament roots of who the Magi were, you can go back and catch that episode. But this year, as our Christmas visits have been um, and should be curtailed, um, I've thought a lot about the Magi's trip and how their journey to Bethlehem was really the first ever Christmas road trip. Um, and how what was probably a regular old day for this young mom, um, carpenter dad, and their toddler um, quickly turned to, into a boisterous and overwhelming worship service in the middle of their you know, humble home. Um, the Magi arrived on their doorstep with exceedingly great, uh, joyful worship um, and three gifts, gold, and frankincense and myrrh. Now, when we're uh, not social distancing, I love to teach people about the Old Testament roots of the Magi and about the deep symbolism and foreshadowing of their gifts. Um, like we talked about last week a little bit, or a couple weeks ago, the gold spoke to Jesus's kingship and the myrrh spoke to Jesus's coming sacrifice. And the frankincense spoke to Jesus as our great high priest. And I was thinking about this last bit of symbolism a lot this week, um, maybe because we've been celebrating Hanukkah and it celebrates the story that started with a priest called uh, Mattathias Maccabee. Um, and he was a you know priest, um, which is what started off the whole uh, rebellion. Um, but anyway, when we talk about Jesus as a priest, uh, we talk a lot about how the Old Testament priests um, bridged the gap between people and God. Um, by actually uh, sacrificing people's animals, they brought as sin and guilt offerings on God's altar um, as one of their main responsibilities. But Jesus didn't just come to be a priest. Uh, the writer of Hebrews calls him our great high priest. Um, so what does that mean? Um, so usually when we talk about Jesus as our great high priest, uh, we, um, including me, um, talk a lot about how the earthly high priest took perfect blood into the Holy of Holies once every year to make atonement for himself and the people of Israel in the very presence of God. This was his one really specified job. Um, the high priest had to take the holy incense, which was full of frankincense 
inside the veil with him uh, to create a cloud, uh, which God said was to obscure his glory so that the high priest wouldn't die at the sight of him. Um, we talked about this annual day of atonement, um, Yom Kippur, back in September, if you want to catch that and learn more about it. Um, and that's obviously a powerful picture of how frankincense pointed to Jesus as our great high priest. But here in 2020, <laughs> there's an aspect of Jesus as our great high priest that really means so much to me. And I hope it means a lot to you too. Um, it's his clothing. So let me read to you this uh, from Exodus 28. Um, make sacred garments for Aaron that are glorious and beautiful. The craftsmen must make the ephod of finely woven linen and skillfully embroider it with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. It will consist of two pieces, front and back, joined at the shoulders with two shoulder pieces. The decorative sash will be made of the same materials, finely woven linen embroidered with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Take two onyx stones and engrave them um, engrave on them the names of the tribes of Israel. Six names will be on each stone, arranged in the order of the births of the original sons of Israel, Jacob. Engrave these names on the two stones in the same way a jeweler engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in settings of gold filigree. Fasten the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as a reminder that Aaron represents the people of Israel. Aaron will carry these names on his shoulders as a constant reminder whenever he goes before the Lord. Make the settings of gold filigree, then braid two cords of pure gold and attach them to the filigree settings on the shoulder of the ephod. Then with great skill and care, make a chest piece to be worn for seeking a decision from God. Make it to match the ephod using finely woven linen embroidered with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Make the chest piece of a single piece of cloth folded to form a pouch nine inches square. Mount four rows of gemstones on it. The first row will contain a red carnelian, a pale green peridot, and an emerald. The second row will contain turquoise, blue lapis lazuli, and a white moonstone. The third row will contain an orange jacinth, an agate, and a purple amethyst. The fourth row will contain a blue-green barrel, an onyx, and a green jasper. All these stones will be set in gold filigree. Each stone will represent one of the twelve sons of Israel, and the name of that tribe will be engraved on it like a seal. In this way, Aaron will carry the names of the tribes of Israel on the sacred chest piece over his heart when he goes into the holy place. This will be a continual reminder that he represents the people when he comes before the Lord. Who knew that among all his other creation and architectural plans, God was also a blingy clothing designer. Um, seriously though, um, here's why this means so much to me uh, right now in 2020, um, as we are looking forward to, the, to celebrating the arrival um, of Jesus in Bethlehem, who would become our great high priest. We've been really isolated since March. 
We've experienced losses that are difficult to put into words, and sometimes we feel guilty trying to put them into words. There goes my neighbor. Um, sometimes we feel guilty trying to put them into words because everyone is feeling losses too. Um, and so we try to bear our burdens well, knowing that everyone is bearing theirs too. Whether it's illness or depression or marital strife or parenting stress or the anxiety that comes from seeing all that's wrong around us when we turn on the news or scroll our feed. Um, and then we feel like we need to help others bear their burdens too. After all, scripture tells us to do this. And really, in a, in a global pandemic, this bearing of others' burdens is mostly emotional. Um, seeing and hearing hurts and trying to love each other well from a distance. While we're also trying to bear our own sometimes silent burdens and wounds as well. Honestly, the reality is that as a parent or spouse or friend or neighbor, it's pretty much impossible to not bear these burdens in our hearts. Um, I can't help but wish I could do something to make my college and high school kids' virtual learning, socially isolated lives better. I can't help but wish I could do something to bear the stress and exhaustion my husband has been experiencing since March as an infectious disease doctor leading his healthcare system's efforts to protect and care for people. I can't help uh, but wish I could do something to stop the violence and injustice in our country. I can't help but wish I could do something to help my friend's kids who are struggling with depression and anxiety and eating disorders and illness and who are grieving um, canceled graduations and weddings and funerals. Um, but I really can't which really only makes me feel more isolated and heavy laden under all these burdens of mine and of others who I love. Um, we need someone to bear these burdens with us, um, for us. And this is what brings us back to the high priest's um, clothing, his blingy outfit. Um, in fact, this is a necklace my husband got me on our last trip to Jerusalem, and it has 12 tiny gemstones representing the high priest chest piece with a Star of David um, worked into the design. Um, and I love it. It reminds me of this high priest bejeweled um, breastplate. But anyway, so, so back to the passage. I don't know if you caught what God said several times. Um, the high priest, through these incredibly intricate and ornate pieces of clothing, would bear the people's names on his shoulders and over his heart before God. These engraved stones um, on his shoulders and over his heart were this constant reminder that his job was to serve and represent his people before God. And as he served in the sanctuary, the engraved stones reminded God of his people, um, as if he could forget, um, right? The, the Hebrew word here means to remember with action. Not that God could ever forget us, um, but that when the high priest um, bore the names of the people in God's presence, it would move God to action. And Jesus, our great high priest, um, as he walked the earth, he carried God's people not with um, symbolic jewels um, over his chest, but inside his very heart. 
making every decision with perfect uh, love and discernment on behalf of every single person he created. And on the cross, Jesus bore the sins and burdens not only of all of Israel, but of every tongue and tribe and all creation. And he did this not through symbolic garments or jewels, um, but in his very flesh. Unlike though the earthly high priest's um, uh, ministry, Jesus's ministry didn't end in the grave. Now, uh, because Jesus walked out of the grave and ascended back to heaven, we not only have a great high priest who sacrificed himself to cover our sins, but he sits at the right hand of God's throne, interceding on our behalf all of the time. Our resurrected high priest never stops bearing our names and our burdens. He sits at the right hand of God's throne, interceding and advocating for us all of the time, moving God to action. Every single moment that Jesus speaks with the Father about the grand plan, he's holding our names on his shoulders and in his heart. The resurrected Messiah, the one who, to whom every knee in creation will bow, holds you over his heart when he's making every single decision. I mean, next time you're feeling insignificant and isolated, and heavy laden, think of that. I mean, to be perfectly honest, that really means the world to me right now in a new and deeper way because this year has been hard, really hard. A lot of us have felt hopeless and helpless and alone. We've wanted someone to stand up for us, for me, to stand up for us in our sadness and our fear, and anger, and our isolation. And we do have someone that does that. In fact, the Hebrew word for priest is Kohen, and it means a person who stands up for someone else, mediating for them in their situation. Even when uh, we feel alone, even when we have no more words, Jesus, the great high priest who was born in Bethlehem more than 2,000 years ago, is now standing up for me and you, bearing your burden, speaking your case to the God of all creation. Again, next time you're feeling alone and insignificant and overwhelmed, think of that. Well, I look forward to being with you um, next week as we celebrate the birth of this great high priest, Jesus, in Bethlehem. It's hard to believe it's just a week from today. Um, but in the meantime, I wish you a very restful um, and worshipful holiday.